Hello, and welcome everyone to Gilded Cast, the podcast that reimagines events that occurred between 1870s and the early 1900s. And today, events that even occurred outside of the United States. This is your host, Shelby Haggerton, and as usual, I'll give a little rundown on how the show works and our purpose. The podcast is designed to fit into three acts. The first act consists of a brief introduction to our topic for the day, the second is a dramatic reenactment of the event, and the third act will wrap up what happened and how it led to a transition in history with a discussion with some of our actors. It's important we view history not as a series of events that we're all destined to lead to our present day, as this can lead to grave mistakes as we attempt to make sense of the past because it leads us to compare to the present. There's no age in history that's better than the other. All are equal, and we can't judge them in a biased light. And this is important for us to remember as we look at more recent history, like what we're doing with this show. And what we're looking at in recent history today is women's health, specifically within the case of female hysteria. The definition of hysteria during the 19th century is a bit hard to explain, simply because it was diagnosed so often and so erratically. No two cases were exactly alike. In some cases, it was even mixed up with epilepsy, as the attacks had similar symptoms. It is important to note that hysteria is no longer recognized as a disorder by medical authorities, as there is now a more open line of communication over women's health. But why were women so misunderstood within the medical community for so many years? Well, it's not for lack of study. There were many female dissections that occurred prior to the 19th century, and even prior to Vesalius during the Renaissance, who claimed to be the first to dissect a woman. When in fact, women were being researched years before. Nuns, saints, and other women were being opened up in order to prove their holiness or just out of pure curiosity. Of course, there was also an understanding among women that we don't get to see as often as they were passed down through oral traditions. This often led men to believe there were secrets being kept from them, when in reality, women just weren't allowed to be part of the narrative. It was never a lack of understanding, it was a lack of communication. The first recorded cases of hysteria came from ancient Egypt around the year 1900 BCE, nearly 4,000 years ago. The Egyptians believed the womb could affect the rest of the body, and so did the Greeks. The term wandering womb described the animate womb wreaking havoc on the woman's body as it was desperate and hungry, a hunger typically only fed through pregnancy. Plato even described the womb as a wild animal. Some common treatments included various scents, the smellier going in through the nose and the prettier close to the genitals in order to attract the womb back into place. Sexual intercourse, pregnancy, and ointments as well. But treatment changed as the years progressed and as technology became more advanced. The Victorian age brought on even more concern for female social convention and a woman's place. For instance, a woman should not be sexually active prior to marriage. Any books that may describe a woman as being sexually expressive or having an independent mind should be killed before the end of the book. Artwork was also censored, including works that were created centuries before, like Titian's Venus. This was a well-renowned classic work, but due to the position of the young woman's hand, it suggests she may not be quite as innocent as the Victorians would have liked. Masturbation was thought of as a common cause for hysteria, and could lead to very harmful treatments prescribed by contemporary physicians. Clitoridectomy, or female circumcision, was common. This is basically female genital mutilation, in which part or all of the external genitalia is removed. 
At the time, this was not a particularly safe procedure and not medically necessary. It was thought to cure girls who masturbated, turn an independent-minded woman into a good wife, or any other act performed by a woman that was not considered feminine. At the same time, however, doctors were also attempting to cure hysteria through stimulation until a woman achieved hysterical paroxysm, or an orgasm. This led to the development of the vibrator, and to more sexual expression for women, a side effect doctors and other offended Victorians would not be so happy about. Physicians also told women to exercise more, causing bicycle sales to rise. But this meant more women choosing to wear pants in order to ride their bikes and greater freedom for women to go where they pleased. Again, the Victorians were not happy. But one of the most intriguing cases of hysteria comes from Sigmund Freud and Dora, or the pseudonym given to the young woman diagnosed with hysteria. Her real name was Ida Bauer, and her experiences tell us a lot about how sexual assault family abuse, and how women were viewed by some men during the late 19th century. We will continue on our quest to understand more about hysteria, Freud and Ida, and social construct during the Gilded Age after a short break. In 1900, on the streets of Vienna, young Ida Bauer steps into the house of Sigmund Freud at the request of her father, Philip Bauer. Philip was a successful textile manager, but ended up spending the back half of his life suffering from the effects of syphilis. This led to some issues between him and Katerina, his wife, and Ida's mother. When they were married, he failed to mention he had the disease. And when it started to affect him more profoundly as he aged, he had some blindness and it is speculated Katerina was not made aware of her husband's illness until a doctor informed her that the blindness was caused by a detached retina, a symptom of the syphilis ravaging his body. It is believed that Katerina caught this and gonorrhea from Philip, and that Ida then inherited it. Ida, now 16, sits with her legs crossed, wringing her hands, uncomfortable and unsure of the man in front of her. Sigmund Freud stares back, waiting for her to continue her story. Well, naturally, my mother began to withdraw from my father. She became obsessed with cleaning our apartment. My father did not expect my mother to simply emotionally vanish, so he looked for affection elsewhere. What happened? Well, his nurse Pepina began coming over more frequently. And at first I was supportive. She was kind and I was happy to have a woman active in my life, but then I was alone. Harisalenka made sexual advances towards Ida, and she responded by slapping him across the face. I believed he was attempting to push me onto Harisalenka so he would no longer be interested in his wife. I begged him to end the affair, but he refused. I know he came to you and told you how wonderful Harisalenka has been to me. He did not believe me. They said I was delusional. Your father mentioned that Herr had explained to him that you were reading a novel, sexual in nature, and that you had imagined it all. I never imagined it. I never read a sexual book. He made advances towards me. 
When her father refused to believe her, she wrote a note to her parents saying she was going to commit suicide. When they confronted her about it, she got in an argument with her father and fainted. She had no memory of it. This was when her father brought her to Freud. Freud believed Ida, and while he was able to initially remove some of her symptoms of hysteria, like an ever-present cough, he eventually alienated her when he theorized why she felt the way she did. Miss Bauer, it seems to me much of your illness is intentional. What? There are many women who use illness in order to get what they want. This is quite common. And what you want is your father. What? It seems at some level you did want to feel loved by Hare, and his rejection was simply a reminder of your father looking for love in another woman other than you. Uh... Excuse me, sir. I cannot say I feel this way at all. Perhaps you have me mistaken with another one of your patients. I could never want hair, and certainly not my father. Ah, your denial only furthers my case. That is a common response. Yes, I'm sure it is. Well, I find that our denial only reveals the truth, and your persistent denial reveals quite a bit. Yes, quite. Uh, sir, I apologize, but I just remembered I have a stop to make on my way home. I should be going. After only 11 weeks of therapy with Freud, Ida left him. Freud believed he had failed, but he refused to believe Ida's denial. Ida returned to Freud two years later and claimed many of her symptoms had cleared up after she eventually confronted Ersilenka and his father's mistress, and they confessed Ida's claims were true. He wrote that he wished he had spent more time looking at Ida's attachment to Pepina, and although Ida was cured, he still felt a degree of failure. So, quite the case to cover in such a short time, but we'll be right back with some comments from our actors in just a few moments, after a quick break. And we're back. So let's have a quick discussion on some of our actors' thoughts about, you know, the story that we heard today. Well, I thought it was rather depressing. Um, just reading all the lines I did for Ida. Um, I do like that, um, you can definitely tell that she was a strong person. Mm -hmm. Um, especially at this time. Um, there's a line in this where it's like, he made advances towards me, I slapped him. Like, heck yeah, girl. I think that just kind of speaks to the um, kind of femininity that needed to evolve at the time that nobody took seriously, mm -hmm. especially with the youth, um, you know, young girls who weren't taken seriously at all. It's like, oh, hormones, you know, all this and that, some sort of psychology that people didn't really understand. So they mm -hmm. didn't take these young girls seriously, even though they were having all these major problems. And we can identify these problems now mm -hmm. as serious, like mental illnesses or uh, phases in people's lives, in their lives, that need to be addressed. Instead, it was just written off as like, oh, it's just, it's, it's 
girls being girls are crazy or whatever, which yeah. is disgusting. And, you know, Allie, you know, you have an issue with Freud, but really a lot of, you know, modern psychology comes from him. And But, you know, one thing, though, I do have to defend Freud on this. I mean, I don't believe in the whole he she just innately wanted to have sex with her father. Um, it's the idea, you know, that he actually did believe her. And he was the only one that ever stood up and said, yes, I believe you, Ida. I think that this actually did happen to you. You know, let's try and fix this. Aside from some of his theories that we kind of see and would obviously disagree upon, like the idea of wanting uh, to have sex with our parents, uh, you kind of have to give him a little bit of credit for being like, hey, maybe this teenager isn't crazy. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. going back a far ways, I mean, that's kind of progressive in a sense, not like, yeah. you know, you kind of get what I'm saying. It wasn't. It, it, it's good that somebody was finally believed, especially uh, for what kind of situation that young Ida was in. And you know, it's interesting, too, because you know, this is right after when children are finally really being considered human beings, essentially. You know, real people. They're not just, oh, well, you know, they're not people until they get to a certain age. You know, we can treat them however. We can, you know, make them work incredibly long hours without any repercussions whatsoever or have them in factories, you know, literally deforming their bodies from all of the work that they're doing for all these long hours, you know. So I think that's kind of important to recognize here as well, because he did recognize that Ida was, even though she was young, she had feelings, she had ideas, but nobody else in her life, including her parents, really recognized that even when she said, you know, she was suicidal, they just ended up having a fight with her to the point where she fainted. Um, I don't know. What What are your thoughts on that with today's time as well? I would agree that we don't always listen to our youth. A lot of the time you look at them and you think, like even today, like, oh, they're just kids. They don't know anything. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to listen to their ideas and what they're saying and not just take it off as nonsense, I guess. Yeah. Because sometimes I feel like the older generation can do that to some of the youth and obviously the youth does have a lot to learn and they're just trying to figure it out but i think it's important to recognize that so let's get on to the topic of victorian sex education was poor people didn't know exactly the experience for women because it was not being recorded and women really weren't being asked but looking at how that almost mirrors some aspects of today you know i know we had talked about sex education in schools which is typically quite poor you know ali did you have any comments on that at all i actually do so i went to a rather large high school a lot of adults around this area when i like talk to them they all went to schools with like maybe 50 kids i my graduating class was almost 500 people there was well over 2,000 people in the school and our sex education was in middle school they did not teach us like anything anything real of real substance what they did was they gave us these little boxes right mm -hmm. um so they'd give you the friendship box which would be the biggest then the relationship box so basically we would just make a pyramid so it would be friendship rela relationship marriage and then sex and so then they would put the smallest box, which was the sex box, and put it on the bottom. And then, like, stack it all weird. And so it was like a metaphor 
of like it'll topple over if you do things out of order mm-hmm. and you don't and if you do it this way then everything will not work out for you as if denying that things do happen in different orders and things can work out mm-hmm. despite that they did not teach us a single thing of how to handle yourself in situations Mm -hmm. because yes you can be in very like healthy situations and kids high school kids need to know that because not all of them are gonna go in the abstinence route that's just a fact so you need to be able to teach them how to be safe and how to know like um proper like stds and how to like look out for stuff like that yeah and they did not do that at all like they did show us um male genitalia and penises uh and like what stds look like for for them for men for men but they did not show us any vaginas or what female genitalia looks like with Mm -hmm. like stds or what you know, or just, because, or women's health even. Yeah. You know, you have one meeting, or one session where they may talk about, you know, menstruation, but that's really all you get at any point. And then they say, well, you know, masturbation would be key. Abstinence is key. But that's not how the world works. And it certainly, it wasn't even working that way during the Victorian age when social construct was in place. You know, it's, let's get, let's get a male perspective. Um, To kind of go along with what Allie was saying, I mean... To speak about um, how sex works in forms of like the relationship, mm-hmm. in the example of the relationship box, it's such an like it's such a laughable experience in trying to teach somebody exactly what sex is. It's not they're not being ta- taught what sex is. They're telling you how they want people to have sex, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. So I guess that kind of brings into the question, Allie, because we were discussing this. Yeah. Why is it in sex ed class you can show male genitalia and it's fine, but female genitalia is, quote, from my own school, too graphic? I'd say that's kind of ridiculous because it's both. Mm -hmm. They're both the human bodies. For uh, young girls who don't know how to understand, who don't understand how their body works, are maybe often get the idea of like, well, sex is understood. The idea of sexual pleasure means I have to get this from a male mm-hmm. or from somebody else. And so when nobody teaches them or shows them what exactly um, what all encompasses the vagina yeah. and how it can be uh, utilized, so to speak, um, then they have to rely on males to yeah. be that instrument in them having pleasure. Yeah. And, you know, it's the idea we were talking about earlier. Um, that this has been passed on for generation for generation, but it was passed on with women, not with men. That's why you don't get the medical history from women saying, oh, yeah, we understand this because, yeah, there were people out there that did, but they weren't the people writing the history. But no, I think that this was a good topic of conversation and something that definitely should be out there and should be open for discussion. It's not a topic that should be feared or that people should feel uncomfortable with because i mean this is life it's just natural it's just human beings being human beings so no i'm i'm glad we had this discussion today and i think that there's definitely some food for thought here continuing and moving forward so 
Thank you both for being here, and we'll catch you next week on The Gilded Cast. <laughs>